let's, uh, let's remain standing for the reading of God's holy word. Today's text comes from James chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. And the word of the, God, uh, of the Lord says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. You can all be seated. So we've begun winding our way through the book of James with a central theme of James being found in James chapter 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Uh, Don't just hear what God is saying in his word, but let it take root in your heart and produce results in your life. So we've always heard the old saying, practice what you preach, right? James is telling us, practice what you hear preached from the word. And James is a book that is filled with commands on how we should live out that faith. In fact, over 50 times in this short book, James gives us imperative commands on how we should live as Christians. Now here's what we've heard from him so far in the past few weeks. We looked at James chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. And James taught us that we should have joy in trials because God is using our trials to strengthen our faith. And then also God uses our trials to make us more like Jesus. And then we looked at verses 5 through 8 of chapter 1 of James. And we learned there, when, you go, when you're going through trials, ask God for wisdom. Ask Him for insight to see how He's growing you through those trials. And also, don't doubt that God will give you what you need. You have to trust in His character. And don't be distracted by the trouble you're facing in life. Uh, One of the things that I find compelling about the book of James and also about the Bible is that it doesn't skip over any uncomfortable issues, okay? Uh, There's sex and murder and doubt and betrayal and depression and divorce. Every human emotion, every possible crime, every matter of life is dealt with at one point or another in Scripture. And this makes the Bible a really unpopular book with some people. But the fact is, the Bible was never intended to win any popularity contests or to get votes for a political office. The goal of Scripture is to point you to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to hit on one of those really sensitive issues when James begins talking about money. Now, this is sensitive because, one, people hate to hear about money in the church. I have seen people roll their eyes in churches when the pastor brings up money because they think we're about to start begging for more in the offering plate. But that's not at all what's going to happen today. Instead, we're going to talk about the danger of making money the lens through which we define ourselves. All right. So let me explain. We have a tendency to categorize ourselves according to money and material possessions. There are haves and there are have-nots. There are the rich 
and there are the poor. And the people who are poor resent the people who are rich because they wish they had what the rich people have. And the people who are rich look down on the poor because obviously they're just lazy or they just don't want to get ahead. Things were no different in the first century. Even in the church in the first century when the book of James was written. In fact, disparity between the rich and the poor even created problems uh, that we read about in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 11, if you start in verse 18, and I think this is on the screen, uh, uh, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and there were a lot of problems at the church at Corinth. This was just one of them. He wrote, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So uh, for the Lord's Supper during this time, there was a full meal shared, okay? And, and during that meal, the bread and wine were presented as a part of that meal to remember the sacrifice of Christ. What was happening, though, was that the people who were richer, who were better off, were bringing lavish amounts of food and wine and making pigs of themselves and getting drunk while those who were poor sat back and really didn't get to eat anything. It's like going to a potluck here at Carlton Baptist. And, and we're the family that brings uh, the bag of chips. Because that's just all the money we had in the bank that week. And then somebody at the table next to us brought the good fried chicken from Popeye's, right? And, and, and they won't share. And they resent us peons who brought the, the bag of off-brand ruffles. And they put uh, their table on the line and they turn around and say, hey, we brought the fried chicken. This is for my family. So this is, uh, it sounds strange, but this is kind of what's happening at the church of Corinth. Uh, 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 There was a problem, a division between the rich and the poor. Uh, uh, Both poverty and prosperity have their own unique problems. And that's the context James is writing in here. If we view our poverty and our riches in the wrong way and shape our identity through those things instead of recognizing ourselves as belonging to Christ, and that was the big problem at the church at Corinth. The rich weren't recognizing the poor as belonging to Christ, just like them. But if we define ourselves by our financial status, then being poor and being rich becomes neither a curse nor a blessing. It becomes a trial that we have to work through, a spiritual dilemma for us to navigate. So let's unpack today's text. First, James has a word to the poor. He says in verse 1-9, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So here's what James is not saying. James isn't saying if your bank account is empty and you have no food in the pantry and you're barely scraping by, living paycheck to paycheck, you ought to be happy about that. What he's saying is, if you're a Christian, even if you're flat broke, you have a reason to rejoice because you belong to Christ. God doesn't keep score 
the way we do. God doesn't care if you are successful in business and if you drive new cars and you have a nice house and the best spray tans and the veneers to make your teeth shine like diamonds. All the boats and campers and $100,000 trucks mean nothing in God's economy. But we are enamored with those things, aren't we? If we weren't, there wouldn't be a lottery. Uh, If we didn't want to get rich quick, there wouldn't be casinos. If we didn't love the idea of having things, there wouldn't be home makeover shows that make your old house brand new with all these modern amenities and do it in 30 minutes, right? I love watching those shows, by the way, mainly just to see what people's budgets are. I mean, you have this couple and they're looking to buy a house and they're like, uh, and, and the mom is like, I'm a professional dog walker. And the dad's like, I'm a stay-at-home dad. We have an all-in budget of $1.2 million. And I'm like, what the heck, man? I'm in the wrong profession, right? We're impressed by money, even in the church. I remember a while back I was on staff at a church and a very wealthy individual Uh, that I won't name today because a lot of us know the family. Uh, They began building a home in Madison County. And I'll never forget a staff meeting uh, we had at the church. And the pastor at the church was absolutely drooling over the idea of getting this individual to attend our church. And in another church, having a conversation with the pastor, and we were talking about the gospel and sharing the gospel. And he kept going on and on about, can you imagine the impact if... Brad Pitt got saved? I mean, if a celebrity like that got saved? God doesn't keep score the way we keep score. Ray Pritchard wrote this. He wrote, The rich man and the poor man stand on the same ground before the Lord. Your net worth or your lack thereof has no impact on your standing in heaven. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. James is teaching us that we have to open our eyes beyond our earthly poverty and stop defining ourselves by what we don't have. By the world's standards, you may be poor, but you are exceedingly rich if you are in Christ. Paul says in Romans 8, 17, as children of God, you are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Uh, or again, as Paul put it in Ephesians 2, 6, God has raised you up with Christ and seated you with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So if you're poor by the world standards, we have to remember that our position in Christ is a treasure that exceeds all the wealth of even the most privileged people. We serve a God who speaks And where there was nothing, planets emerge. He flings out the stars with his right hand and he knows everyone by name. He breathes into dust and produces life in man from it. He speaks the Rocky Mountains to rise in the west. And the Atlantic Ocean fills with fish in the east at the sound of his voice. Do you really think that God is impressed with you if you drive a nice car or if you have a new house or if you have some local celebrity's phone number. 
But the opposite's also true. God's not impressed by your wealth. He's also not turned off by your lack of wealth. God doesn't hold it against you if you're a single mom living paycheck to paycheck. God doesn't hold it against you if you're an elderly person counting out change at the drug store store to cover the cost of your prescriptions. God doesn't care a freaking lick if you have the latest iPhone. He won't kick you out of the kingdom because you're homeless. James says that the poor should rejoice in this, that they know Jesus, that their sins are forgiven, that they have new life in Christ, that God is their Father, that the Holy Spirit guides them, and that Christ is their King. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God's family. No cousins that he avoids outside of the family reunion. If you've got money and a nice house and a prosperous career, that's great. Give thanks for those things. Listen, Sherry, you're over here thinking about how they avoid each other outside of family reunions. <laughs> Give thanks for your prosperity, but understand that it's Christ, that it's your real treasure. Likewise, if you're barely making it, if you're out of a job, if your family life is a hot mess, and if your health is bad, if you feel ignored or forgotten or alone, if your pockets are empty and your cupboard is bare, remember your present condition doesn't determine your final destination. So there's James' word to the poor. Now we're going to look at James' word to the rich. And he's got a little more to say to the rich here. In verse 10, he says, And the rich boasts in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Money. Do you know what it is? Paper and ink. That's it. People will steal and kill and fight to have it, though. Because there's some perceived power in the dollar. But James reminds us here that you are going to die someday, just like grass in the field, and you can't take it with you. You can build an empire, the most successful business around, the biggest, nicest house with the most beautiful landscaping and the most breathtaking pool and the most expensive tricked out cars and one day you're going to feel a pain in your chest and the next thing you know there's going to be an announcement about you on the Elberton radio station saying visitation will be held tonight from 6 to 8 p.m. with a memorial service at Carlton Baptist tomorrow at 1 followed by a graveside service and a meal for the family in the fellowship hall and people will say the body looks so good They're just gone too soon. I sure will miss him. And after that, everybody's going to divide up your stuff and your money will be spent on your medical bills and what you owe to the bank and the credit cards and taxes. And your family's going to give the things you treasured the most to goodwill. Men's fortunes die with them. And there's proof. If you go to any cemetery, any, any cemetery, let's just say Carlton City Cemetery, uh, uh, Annette and Sandra have lived here uh, um, their whole lives, most of their lives, Sandra has. Uh, uh, Ricky's lived here his entire life. 
if, if you go to the Carlton City Cemetery, are there any poor people buried there? Any rich people? There's probably both, right? Rich people and poor people. What the rich and the poor have in common is that they both die. So there's no reason, no reason to boast about being rich because we all meet the same end. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Scientific research indicates that among human beings in Madison, Oglethorpe, Melbourne County, there's a 100% mortality rate. We all going to die. It's true. And neither your ATM card nor your EBT card will work in heaven. So we all meet the same end. So James says, don't wallow and whine in your poverty and don't boast about your wealth. Instead, he says, think, uh, it, it, the Bible says to think on this from Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord's. So we don't define ourselves by our poverty and we don't define ourselves by our riches, but we define ourselves by who we are in Christ. And then there's the reward. James 1.12 Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Listen, it says blessed is. That's present tense, okay? That's right now. The man who remains steadfast under trial. The man who maintains his faith in the midst of trials, whether he is rich or poor. Why? Because he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So there's a present state of blessedness based on, on our future reward given to us by God because of our faith in God. You're a blessed person right now, even in the midst of your trials, because a better day is coming in eternity. Every one of us, without exception, experiences trials in life. I think I've said every Sunday for the past few weeks, Everyone in here is either coming out of a trial or experiencing a trial right now or they're about to go through a trial. James doesn't offer us any schemes or magic words to pray to help us avoid trouble in the world. But what he does, though, is offer hope for those who come through their trials in faith. The word blessed here means happy or beautiful. So James is saying that people who maintain their faith in God, even in dark times, are happy, beautiful people. And they maintain this disposition because they know there's something better waiting on the other side. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For those who are in Christ, there's hope beyond any wealth you might accumulate or any poverty you might endure. You, are, you aren't blessed and beautiful because you have money or popularity or nice things. You're blessed and beautiful because you have Jesus. There's a Puritan pastor in the 1600s in Wales, in England, named Christopher Love. And at the time, the Church of England was the only legal church in the nation. And Love left the Church of England to become a Protestant pastor, uh, uh, to become a, a Presbyterian. So he was arrested for treason, and he was sentenced to be beheaded. And on the day he died, he wrote a letter to his wife from his prison cell. I'm not going to read the entire letter, but just a couple of lines. He wrote, My most gracious beloved, I am now going from a prison to a palace. I have finished my work and am now going to receive my wages. And he closed with these words. He said, Christopher Love, the day of my glorification from the Tower of London, August 22nd, 1651. From a prison cell in London, waiting to die, he wrote, I'm going from a prison to a palace. I have finished my work, and now I receive my wages. Today, he didn't say today is the day of my death. He said today is the day of my glorification. Life is a series of one trial after another. New challenges at work. New troubles to deal with at home with the family. New health concerns as we grow older. Friends that treat you poorly and bank accounts that go up and down at the most inconvenient times. And it's tempting to give up sometimes. It's tempting to be angry at God. But James is telling us, persevere. Be happy while you can. Because a better day is coming. It may not come in this earthly life. But don't doubt. And don't be afraid. Because a better day is on the way. David Mathis wrote, In God's strange and wonderful ways of ruling this world, life's most painful trials serve a special purpose for our good. God, God often draws His straightest lines from life's greatest difficulties to our deepest and sweetest joys. James called this joy that we will receive the crown of life. And this crown of life that we're promised in eternity is more than just eternal life. It's more than just a quantity of life, but it's a quality of eternal life given specifically to those who faithfully serve God and maintain their faith through the storms we experience. In fact, it's evident in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 5, that this quality of eternal life will be available particularly 
to those who have endured pain in the world. When we endure pain, what do we experience? We experience tears. We experience sickness. We experience mourning. We experience death. But that weight of glory that we'll experience for all of our suffering and all of our trials, that crown of life, it looks like this. Revelation 21, 3-5, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. The crown of life that James is talking about is an eternity where everything sad and difficult and painful comes untrue. So, is it better to be rich or is it better to be poor? Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9 answers the question. The writer said, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. See, both poverty and wealth test the resolve of our faith. James' message to Christians, rich or poor, is don't define yourselves by looking through the lens of your bank account or the world's measures of success. Find your identity in Christ. Paul wrote in Philippians 3, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. We are who we are in Jesus. Nothing more and nothing less. And we can't possess any greater treasure than Him. I am who I am in Christ. And James begs us to gain our self-identity based on our relationship with the king of the world and our exalted status as the children of the almighty God. This idea lifts up and exalts the poor and it humbles the rich and it glorifies Christ and it gives us hope beyond the circumstances of this world. It's been said that you can tell a man's heart by looking at his checkbook. And in a way, that's true. Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question for the day is, where is your treasure? Is it in something you can hold and see? Or in something better that God has promised us in eternity. 
Our God has given us something far greater than any amount of money that we could ever possess. The greatest gift we could ever receive in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is that God gave us Jesus and Jesus gave his life on the cross as a gift to pay the price for all of our sins so that we no longer have to fear God, but we can enjoy life in this world and we can enjoy a quality of life with God himself in eternity. But this gospel is more than just a religious idea. The gospel, the good news, the best news, the greatest treasure we could ever hold is a person, Jesus Christ.